Hello and welcome to the Orport. I'm Greg. And I'm Ronnie. And we are the Catan Brothers. The Catan Brothers. This is episode four of the podcast where we dive deep into Catan strategy. Everything Catan that you want to know, we have right here for you. And today is an especially important day in the Orport because we are honored to have Dylan here to join us on the podcast. You guys may know him as Delighted, Delighted Catan. He has a lot of different names in the Catan universe slash Catan world. But he's here with us tonight. So Dylan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, hey, y'all. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm super excited to be here and to be doing this with you. Thank you. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. This is an important episode for a lot of different reasons. One, I happen to you know, think, Dylan, that you're particularly an icon in the uh, Catan world. <laughs> uh, thank you. I guess uh, all this popularity isn't always good, though. <laughs> yeah, I can see why it would hurt you in certain games. But you're definitely very meaningful in a lot of Catan discussion strategies. I mean, your YouTube channel's all over. So... Me and Greg thought it'd be amazing to have you on the show. Yeah, you've really improved the community, I would say. So we're so happy to have you. So we just want to ask you a couple questions. Of course. How did you get into Catan? What is it about Catan that has made you dedicate so much time into it? So I started just by playing with some friends and stuff. And I'm pretty competitive, so I wanted to get good. So I started like looking up uh, like every single piece of strategy. I scoured the internet. I looked through like archives. I like messaged a bunch of like players. And I try to watch as many games as possible. But there's one channel specifically called Neonate that gave me like my fundamental base of the fundamentals of, of Catan. And that's how I improved pretty, pretty quickly. But uh, after I watched like all his videos like two or three times and I like, took notes on it, I wanted to like improve and go further. But I looked everywhere it, and all the resources were either like pretty garbage, no offense to other resources, or uh, they were very, very scarce. So I'm like, okay, there's not very much information on Catan. And I know that there's way, way more way more inside this game than most people think. So I uh, decided, so like, you know, I might as well uh, create my own channel since Neonate starts making videos. Well, it's actually funny that you mentioned that because when we started this podcast, I was getting a lot of different questions from people about like, well, how can you have a whole podcast dedicated to Catan? Like, won't you run out of things to talk about after a couple episodes? And me and Greg were saying to each other, like, no, Catan is so just widespread there's so much into it that people don't really think of when they're when they're playing or when they're analyzing the game and you really can make a podcast about it and in your case you really can devote a whole youtube channel to it and still touch on things that have never been touched on before yes for sure i totally agree there's actually so 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 much depth inside this game that we still haven't even considered at all and i'm still discovering that as well a lot as well right now and, and i promise you that like this game is just gonna get more and more and more complicated. Since ever since I started my YouTube channel and I've been consistently playing in tournaments and online ranked matches, I've seen the scene get a lot better and the games get a lot tougher and tougher and tougher. And as games get better, as players improve overall, the, the complexity of the game just improves. It, it just shoots up way, way more and more. Because before you could just do or we sheep, just like click buttons and then you could still have like a 50% win rate. But now you have to think a lot harder. You have to keep track of every single one's cards. You have to track trades, you have to keep on track like what are my opponents trading? How do I prevent my opponents from trading well? And a bunch of, it can get really, really complicated very, very fast. So I think that there's actually so, so much more depth inside this game that people just don't see. There's more Catan to be played. For sure, 100%. I was wondering, what do you think is still, wh where do you think the community is going? What left do we still need to do to make Catan bigger, grow larger? Um, what does Catan need to do? Like, what are we missing as a community? What are we missing as a community? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think that uh, more standard content uh, was always is always nice, but I'm only one person, and I can only spend so much on videos. <laughs> that's true, and that's why we're here to help you with that. For sure, for sure, and I think just like more content, more uh, like more material available, since people are really, really hungry for any type of content, and I since Catan's a very, very widespread game, and like if you look on the internet, like most of the resources are pretty bad. So thank you for creating like a good resource of like actual like developed strategy created by strong players. So thank you for that. Yeah, and I mean, the hope of this is, you know, people listen to us, they take what we say to heart, and they actually implement it into how they play the game. And I think that results in, you know, Dylan, what you were saying is better, more competitive games. And Greg, what you were saying, kind of a, a, a better suited c community of Catan, where everyone is playing, you know, high level competitive games and, and really fun games in that too. It's very exciting um, how Catan is growing right now. I really do think, um, Dylan, that you're a big part of that. So I want to say thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Well, I just want to say thank you to the viewer or to whoever is listening to this, since uh, this would not be anything without you. And I also want to say uh, I, got, I did think I got pretty lucky uh, because I think YouTube recommended one of my videos, which is how I got like 
like 180,000 views, which is crazy when I, when I think about it. But I just think that shows the potential of how widespread Catan can be and how appealing it is just to, to mass audiences too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so it's, it's actually what I find pretty interesting, you know, is you're, you're a very high skilled competitive player and so are me and Greg is that our actual, our backgrounds towards Catan are actually very different. You started with friends and you wanted, you had this kind of desire to be the best, very competitive, and you, you know, use the, the internet for the resources it provided and, and you learned that way. Me and Greg, I would say our kind of learning of Catan is more trial and error, just so much playing, so much playing. I mean, we've been playing years and years in advance of when any tournaments were really available to go to. So it was really just the kind of the games that we could organize, you know, in our bedrooms or backyards or whatever it was yeah for sure i think one of the best ways to improve though is to try and get try and play with the best players possible i remember when i first started uh, i was trying to like i tried to like i messaged like a bunch of random people uh, who were like who were like top ranked players uh, or like neonate himself or like the world champions like hey come play with me i have a small little youtube channel actually i think that's one of the best reasons why uh, i've been able to grow is because or improve as a player because of my youtube channel um and i think that like you if you watch the like my beginning videos um, you could definitely tell it's a lot worse of a player compared to now since I'm able to, uh, because so many people know who I am and I'm willing to study with them and share strategy with them. And I'm only, I'm only able to become the player I am today through those players, through the, through my friends and through like the people who have like mentored me and helped me like develop my own strategy or like de develop strong strategy because of, well, I guess fame, but just having a lot of resources and uh, different ideas, uh, funneled into me is it's, I, f I find it very, very grateful. And I'm, I know I'm in a very, very, uh, I, I'm in a very fortunate position where people know me and people are willing to share their thoughts and strategy with me. Well, and I think I'll let Greg chime in after I make this one point. I think that was something that me and Greg, you know, said to each other making this podcast. You know, we're not people that are going to hide the way we play. Like, we'll put it all out in the open. We'll tell you our strategies. We'll tell you what we think is good. And then we'll still go out there and beat you. <laughs> You know, Catan, it's not this secretive hidden game where you have to hide what you're going to do or hide your strategies. I mean, you, you get in the game, the dice start rolling, and you, you got to play accordingly. That's that's what it comes down to. Yeah, for sure. If, if I really wanted to try and become, uh, like, the best player in the world, I mean, I do want to become, like, a great player and uh, keep that consistency up. But if I really wanted to become the best player in the world, well, making YouTube strategy, like, making YouTube strategy videos is not the way to go. <laughs> I mean... I think your I think your videos are really impressive. I think they're great. I, I I think you can I think you could be the second best behind me and still have your you know YouTube videos up there going strong, and you know collect a following. I think you, there's something to be said about if you get in the game online, people see oh there's delighted you know let's let's attack him. That sucks. I can see why that would be terrible. But you know what? You, you fight them off and you collect your win anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that should only happen in auto matches anyway. <laughs> uh, it happens uh, a little bit more in online tournaments than you think. <laughs> that's why I have to go undercover? Uh, yes, that's the reason for that. Uh, but now people just recognize my voice, so I, I don't think I have a cover anymore. <laughs> Every single time I try to go undercover in a tournament, uh, they're like, oh my gosh, it's that voice. It's delighted. And I still get gang robbed. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical. Well, I do think you avoid that when you're playing with great players who know I'm not going to target a person, but rather I got to target their setup or their strategy. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Which is why I think you, you made the point that you want to play with the best players and me and Greg are the same way. But yeah, I mean, listen, that that's delighted Katan. He has he, he's a bunch of followers on, on YouTube. Um, his content is great. Icon of Katan. Yeah, he's really an icon of Catan. I, I don't want to put that lightly. So, um, you know, everyone that's listening, definitely, especially if you're, you're a newer player or, even, you know, even if you're a really skilled player and love the strategy, I'd get on YouTube. I'd, I'd watch his videos and really see what he's all about because he's fantastic. We're big fans. Ah, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Huge fans. Greg, do you want to you take us into tonight's topics where, where Dylan will be joining us? Yeah, so tonight's episode is all about your third settlement. So the idea here is that you start with two settlements, your initial placements. We talked, we covered um, some key ideas of that in episode one. Please check it out if you haven't yet. But it's very hard to win Catan with just those two settlements. There's only a couple ways to do it, and they're very rare. You need a lot of development cards. So that being said, let's focus in on that third settlement. What do you need to do to maximize the third settlement? And there's a lot to it. There's a lot of complexity in going into that third settlement. Do you guys have any thoughts to start off with? So, yeah. So I think the third settlement arguably is your most important settlement, right? I mean, 
listen, everyone starts with two. So you're starting on this kind of fair, even playing ground where everyone, you know, got a spot kind of in order of, of you know, the pecking order of preference there. But that third settlement, that's where things start to get interesting because no third settlement's guaranteed. And if you can get the best third settlement spot in the best placement on the board, that can really put you steps above your opponent. I totally agree. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that you can really, really plan out your third settlement. And that uh, I made a video specifically on this, but you can a lot of the times you can artificially create your third settlement spot just by placing in a specific manner. Instead of trying to do like a locking play, if you can predict where everyone else would go, you can open up a spot for yourself so you can guarantee yourself an artificial strong third settlement rather than trying to do a locking play like that. Yeah, I see a lot of times people will set up their first two spots and they'll maximize those best two spots, but then they won't really create an opportunity for a good third spot. So what do you guys think of the idea of, so maybe your first settlement, if you're first or second, that's obviously you're going to try to maximize your dots, your numbers, whatever. But then for maybe your second settlement, what do you think of the idea of maybe settling for an okay second settlement, but getting a good third settlement? How do you think that balances out? So I think it's really important to kind of, if you're going to do that kind of strategy that you just said, where your second settlement spot is it's not the best spot on the board, but you're, you're taking it just to create that third, you have to damn sure make sure you get that third settlement first. If you, if you take a lesser spot for a greater third settlement, you got to get it. That's step one. If you don't get it, I think your game is almost over right there. I think that's something something that people don't consider enough is something I like to call city quality. So if the thing is, if you decide to choose, uh, take a suboptimal second position or second settlement so you can get a strong third settlement, whenever you, after you get your first city and you're trying to build like a second or third city, you decrease your city quality by quite a little bit. So I think a lot of times it's a little bit dangerous to try and uh, go on like a suboptimal second position or second, second settlement in order to guarantee yourself a, a strong third settlement. I'm not saying it's not incorrect, but you have to be very, very dangerous. Or you have to be very aware that your city quality does not uh, suffer quite a bit since that can definitely lose yourself a game. No, that's a good point. Yeah, I think that's a good point too. I've, in my experience, I would say that I would sometimes try to position myself so that my third settlement is my ore spot. I try to start maybe not on ore or a little bit on ore and then build onto the ore. And I find that that makes it hard for me to build cities because I'm building on later in the game onto my ore spot mm -hmm. and not just that you're not going to upgrade that one spot like let's say you upgrade like you built like a five two you're not going to upgrade the five two so because that's just like city quality instead you're going to be upgrading your wood brick uh, wheat sheep or something like that so then it basically makes it so instead of getting a massive amount of ores to buy another city you just have that small little ore income so you can, can buy consistent development cards wow that's a really good point yeah i mean because you're not going to then put your city on the five two that would be wasteful i mean that's a really good point that i don't know if i've ever even considered yeah and that's that's why like people starting off on strong ore wheat and then being able to upgrade that that's a great that's great recipe for city quality right there yeah definitely yeah no that's a really important point so I think that I, I agree with you, Dylan. I am usually not willing to take a suboptimal second settlement spot in order to get this better third settlement spot. But for me, I think it's all part of the plan where if I see that I can get a great spot and then complement that with this third settlement spot, that that's usually the way to go, especially when you're you're the only player on a whole side of a board and you can get this incredible spot and it's like you're not even really challenged for it. Those are the kind of games where it's like, I, you know, this third settlement spot is going to be the key to my victory here. Just getting on that is going to leapfrog me past these other players that, yeah, maybe they have this best, you know, first spot, but they're kind of stuck in that corner of the board and they can't really, they can't really expand anywhere. Yeah, for sure. A lot of people think that like uh, cities are better than settlements, which is, which I usually agree with. However, if you're able to get a strong enough third city, third settlement spot, then it like, let's say it's like 10 points of production, which is like one of the best third settlements that you can get. That's essentially a city upgrade in itself right there. Especially if that like that third settlement can like really complement you in terms of like, your resource income ratio, then yeah, that third settlement is amazing. That is essentially a city yourself. Yeah, that's 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 yeah, that's a huge point. I mean, if you can get, you know, city production from a settlement that you could then also potentially city up later on, I think you're gonna be in good shape. Yes, for sure. I tend to find that if your third settlement is reinforcing um the uh the resources you already have, like if you already have a four wheat and you're getting on to, or if you already have a nine wheat, let's say, and you're getting onto a four wheat, that is just reinforcing something you already have. You're not gaining a new resource necessarily, but you are reinforcing, which I think is actually stronger. Oh, of course. I mean, it makes you almost unblock. Yeah. Yes. And it also uh, widens your opportunity for trading too. 
you know, trading, if you, if you, first of all, if you're the person that has, is the only one with this resource, you know, people will pay an arm and a leg for it. And I think you're, you're better off that way. Oh, it's a good point, Greg. I mean, if you can, if you can kind of supplement your already gotten resources with those, again, you're just, you're just double trouble. You're just, you know, more resources to spend and use to your, to your advantage there. I, I mean, I think a third settlement spot is huge. Um, and that's why I am willing to race anyone for that good third settlement spot. I think early game, I'm, I'm, I'm all for a nice race. Oh, interesting. See, I, I tried to avoid races at all costs. Because if you hedge your entire game on a race, you can lose it. Now, obviously, you need to take into account your road production, their road production, how easily you can get a settlement. But... Even though, even if you have the better roads, like you have the better settlement production, the dice, the, the, the dice decide, and someone can have the, even if you should be the one who had that spot, and the whole game agrees, people can just say, look, you have the card I need right now, I'm going to trade with you, even if that means you get the settlement, and like that's talking to the person you're racing against. Uh, so let me, let me at least qualify the point. I think if that race for this spot is your entire game, and your game is dependent on it, well, then if you don't get it anyway, then how are you going to how are you going to fare? You know what I mean? If your game is totally dependent on that spot, then you have to race for it. No, I would say I, I would say don't be in the position where you need to race. I would say when you're placing your settlements and you kind of can map out where you're putting your two down and where other people are putting theirs down or where they're going to put them down. If I even conceive that a race could happen, I might think I might double get I might second guess my. Um, strategy here. If this is the only way I can win, doesn't set, it's too risky. So I like to add a point here. The better and better players you're with, I like to call it some uh, balancing the table. So if you play with some great players, if let's say if you knock out one of your players, or if you knock out a player by guaranteeing someone else a spot, if it cut off, you can sort of balance the game just by, uh, like, or you can either choose to not a player if, if that spot is so critical for them. Or you try and balance the game and make sure the person who the spot benefits the least gets the spot instead. Or in addition to that, you can also just um, as a, as a person who's not inside the race, you can heavily uh, you can heavily like make a huge profit. So one of the most legendary plays that I saw by uh, one of my friends, Young Nija, basically what he did was it was his turn and he traded someone um, the card that he needed to the, the a card that he needed to get it on a race. And this guy gave him three cards since this spot was absolutely critical. It was like an eight ten or sheep spot with the like with the port. So this so he got three cards in return. And with those three cards, he then did a four for one for a brick and he traded another the other guy who's racing uh for like another three cards. And then and that and and he did it in a way where uh not only did he make a huge profit, but he also uh but he also made sure the game was balanced and he also took away three cards. Actually, oh Greg, no, uh, you were in that game. Oh uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> that was annoying. I lost that race. Oh, Greg was part of the race. <laughs> that heavily enforces my decision where if I need to be in a race to get a spot, and I can tell, like, when I'm putting down my first my first two settlements, I tend to I tend to take, if I'm first or second, or even in third, my first settlement, I'm going to put the road in a safe position where it might not be directly in a direction that I need to win the game, but I want to know I can at least get a second, like, have a safe spot to get another settlement. I don't want to be in a position where I can't even get a second, a third settlement, I mean. So for my first spot, I'm going to want to do that. But when I'm placing my second, I'm really trying to map out where the second, where, where people will be racing, where people are going to be putting their second settlements, and just kind of try to avoid racing altogether. I think it's dangerous, and I do not want to lose that. Because it gives so many people an opportunity to gain. That's so interesting. Yes, for sure. I think if you're the person on the side, then what a really, really uh, interesting strategy, instead of like, let's say you start off with the free road and you know that two other players are going to be racing. You don't want to throw down that free road. You want to hold that free road. Instead, you're like, I'll give you this brick. You got to give me three cards. And you got to give the other person, oh yeah, I'll give you this wood to win the race. You got to give me three cards. So on boards where pe two people are racing, the, the value of wooden bricks skyrocket. And if you're a great player, you can capitalize off that price really, really well. So, so I, think you're, I think you're right about that. But let me just counter with this point. Because if you're the people outside the race and you're kind of looking in on this, these are two players that are kind of stuck. They're committed to this race no matter what happens. No matter what rolls, no matter what other cards are in their hand, they're kind of committed to this race. So I think rather than trading them the cards they may need to win the race, even if you're getting a great deal, 
I think letting that race play out and you just continue to do your game and you continue to prosper in the, in, on the island while these two people are stuck, I think that actually has a better kind of long-term benefit than getting a beneficial trade. I think it's sort of playing with fire since you, you – well, the thing is you're not if – you, if you can sell that card for a really, really strong price, not only balancing the game so one person is not too strong – or the spot is, uh, or the spot is not as strong, or or the spot that the person is able to win the race with is a lot weaker compared to the other person. You're not only balancing the game, but you're also receiving a huge profit. And I think that one of the biggest ways to v- mitigate variance in Catan is through trading. No, it's a great point. Because let's say if you just if you're just rolling dice and the dice are going against you, it's your job as a losing player to trade well and to mitigate that variance. And that's something that. I don't think people understand a lot since people always want the fast games where you just roll dice. But what about trading? That's the number one way to mitigate variance. And it baffles me why people like, 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 you know, just to roll dice, play fast, play fast, play fast. I really don't like that. Yeah. Me and Greg talked about that in our last episode. Playing fast is just a killer. You need to, you need to really take your time, play slow, consider all up. Like you said, trading is the best way to, to kind of hinder the variance there. But I mean, I see, I think giving someone a good third settlement spot, even if even if you're profiting three cards, are those three cards that beneficial to like your long term success? I don't know. Yeah, I, I have to agree with Ronnie there. I sometimes feel like three cards that could just be filler in your hand that you're just gonna lose, right? Like I I actually do think that everyone has a role in Catan and everyone needs to have their spots. So if two people are racing, I think. It's up to it's everyone's responsibility to make sure that the right person gets that spot. Well, what I was going to say was there's also, you know, as a, as a player that's not in the race, it's also your duty. So, so Dylan, me and you, I think, see this kind of fundamentally different, and that's fine. You, you were saying, you know, you might want to keep that road for trade bait. But for me, I'm like, geez, if that's the card they need, I'm robber bait. I'm steel bait. And that's, that's how I look at it. So for me, I would throw down that road immediately so that they don't steal from me, so that they're stealing from each other because that's who they're in the race with. But if I ever roll that seven, whoever's maybe closer to that race, I'm stealing from them so that I can just let this race go on as long as possible so that these two players are totally committed to that and nothing that else that they do affects my game. So uh, my point against that is that like a lot of the times that you can really table talk that pretty easily. It's like, hey, you are racing that other person and I know you want this brick. So I can give you this brick since it's only like a one in four, you get it. If you don't want to steal from the person you're racing, then sure, you can do that. But I'm willing to trade this brick with you if you can just give me a fair price. And I think that's strong enough logic. And just that's just really strong, uh, just strong logic that you can't really counter. That a lot of times it's just like, yeah, I'm racing this guy. Uh, might as well just prevent them from uh, winning this race. And this guy's willing to trade me too, just for the right price. Yeah, I'm just, I, I don't know if I can get behind if ever, if two cards are ever worth giving, or even three, if they're worth giving someone a settlement that is now permanent for the rest of the game, that they're going to get so many more, more cards off of than the two or three that they gave you, right? So I like to look at, um, so recent, recently I was trying to break down Catan mathematically. So the thing is, if you're able to get three cards from a pure card advantage standpoint, um, I, it's basically, if you're able to get a, three cards for like, a, like, let's say like a three for one, that's like a plus two in terms of card advantage, while your opponent go, goes ahead and they build a settlement. So you have to ask yourself, with these two cards, uh, how, how much more can I use these cards uh, and, and boost up my production versus their little investment on their settlement over there. So I, I guess what my point is, is that uh, you, you can sort of mathematically evaluate a lot of trades um, through, through, what your, through what your opponents are going to be, uh, through what your opponents can do. And it's sort of like a really new concept that I've been trying to explore, uh, that I've been trying to mess around with, uh, just mathematically evaluating trades. I'm going to make a video on that soon. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I just don't know if, in essence, three cards is necessarily better than giving someone a settlement. I have to agree with Ronnie here. I think you really need to weigh how important the settlement is. Like that's that that's that's what really highlights in me. Like I think that if two people are racing for a settlement, it's definitely going to benefit one person more. One person is going to be in a better position for sure. If they're both in an even kind of position and the settlement doesn't really matter, then yeah, exploit the hell out of them. It doesn't really matter. But you really, it's, I think it's mostly important to make sure that the person who needs the settlement gets the settlement. Needs the settlement in terms of the third party's winning, you know, chances? So in part of, in, in your winning chances. Right, right. In your individual winning chances versus the two people in the race. Yeah. Yeah. He means like balancing the game essentially. Yes, yes. Yeah. Right. 
Because one of them's going to get it. Yeah, I mean, one of them is going to get it. You want it to be in the hands of the worse position player than the better. Yeah. But I think the longer that you can make that battle go on, and if you can then still end it up in the worst position players, you know, reach, I think that's best case scenario for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, I listen, Dylan, I, I definitely see your point about profiting on the trade. Um but I just think giving someone a you know a prime settlement spot is always going to be whatever two for one or three for one they give you, unless maybe they're giving you a city. That's the only thing I can maybe you know say. Okay, you're right. Uh, I think it depends on the spot that they're getting though. But yes, yes. Well, yes, but you know we're. I, I think the context of this you know conversation is that third settlement spot. So we're going to make the assumption. I think that it's a pretty good spot. I mean, if so, if two people are battling over like this, you know border 11 spot on the edge there like you know who cares right <laughs> yes but there's also port spots too but yes yes so that actually brings me to the next thing i want to talk about so often i see people build their first settlement that or their th- build towards their third settlement and it would be like an 11 12 maybe a three for one port and i would love to explain to those people that, that is a bad move that a three for one port is good but it is not the first place you need to go to right i mean Listen, I I value a three for one port. I think probably more than two for one ports, resource specific two for one ports. But an eleven twelve three for one port, it's not giving you the, really the full benefit of the three for one port even because you're not even going to have the kind of the resource productivity to really utilize it. Yeah, I I, I think I would rather forego a three for one than build my my third settlement spot to some like eleven twelve. If that if that makes sense. I think you want your third settlement spot to be something that has complementary numbers, complementary resources, or is kind of a combination, and maybe can be less so, but has a good port on it. I do think that people, I want to talk about ports for a little bit, because it does tend to be that people make their third settlement on a port, and that's good, that, that, that's, a, that's a great strategy, ports are great, but I do think people don't understand ports well enough. So I kind of want to go into that a little bit now. Yeah, Dylan, do you have any uh, say on the ports here? Uh, yes, I think every single port has their own little small uh, small utility of, of, of the strengths and weaknesses. You want to rank the ports for us in your eyes? Um, so I was thinking about that since I know that you wanted me to talk about it. But I think that uh, ranking ports, uh, rather than just ranking ports, I think let's just talk about the specific strengths and weaknesses of a ports. Or like the small little utilities. Sure. So I'll go ahead and start since uh, with the ore port. This that's the name of the podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I think that the with an ore port, it's really interesting since uh, if you think about it, the ore port is actually really really good for getting cities. So a normal city is five cards if you think about it. But if you have an ore port and uh, you have five ore in one wheat, that's also a city right there. So you're only spending one more card in order to get a city. So it's a really, really good way to get cities. Uh, another small little utility uh, of the ore port is that it's, it's a lot better to uh, go ahead and hold. And, and let's say if you have an ore port and your hand is three ore and one wheat, a lot of the times you don't want to just be porting that two ore for a dev card. It doesn't, because you're so close to that city and usually a city is just uh, a lot better. It's, it, the spot's contextual, but usually a city's a lot better. And I think there's another small little uh, utility of the ore port being that it's really good for mono defense, uh, monopoly defense. So if you're really good at uh, sniffing out dev cards and you're able to know that when someone has uh, a monopoly, then you're able to reduce your hand size by quite a bit uh, with the ore port, assuming that you use your card still effectively though. I actually have another point for the ore port because I recently played a game where I had the ore port and I was on the um, a nine and a five of ore. And an ore port is very good for building settlements if you have a knight because it's versatile for everything. So let's say you have, let's say you need, let's say you have a bunch of ore and you just need to build one card to build a settlement. It's flexible in all directions. You can just steal any card and it can be whatever it needs to be. Like if you need any card, you can just play a knight, steal it. And if you have the ore port, not even an ore is going to be bad. It's going to work in all directions. So that was something I found interesting and that really um, boosted the ore port for me because I actually tend to think it's the worst port. Yeah, I think generally if you're going to look at ports, you would say, yeah, the ore port's the worst port. Why do I want to be trading in my two ore when I can be buying cities and dev cards? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wanted to say that too. I think the ore port, it, it, it's uh, a relative strength. It, it's hard to find utility for it. But uh, I, I just wanted to point out like where you can find utility from it. 
Yeah, because normally you don't want to trade in your ore. It's just you want to hold on to it. Well, I, w- I also say this. I mean, every every port, if you have a surplus of that resource, every port is going to be fantastic, right? I mean, that's the point of it. If you can, if you can get on this port, um, and, and you and you have a surplus of this of this resource, you you got to do it. I mean, whether it's ore, wood, sheep, or whatever else it is, you got to do it because that's going to be so helpful to you to just be flexible and do whatever you want to do. But with that being said, generally, ore is the hardest kind of thing to come by in bunches, I would say. Um, so, you know, the ore port, yeah, I mean, you want you want to be using that ore for other stuff. If you have a surplus and you can use this port effectively to get other things you need, you know, more power to you. Um, but generally, I would say I, I, t- I tend to stay away from the ore port as like a strategy of that I want to like go for or you like use to my advantage or whatever. Yeah, it is. and uh, there's a specific uh, setup that the ore port's actually pretty useful though uh, that it's for. And it's something called the Four City Long Road, um, and it basically Four City Long Road. It's it's exactly what how it sounds. Uh, you win with getting four cities and longest road. And the the, the uh, general concept behind this setup is that you have strong uh, strong wood brick and strong ore wheat. And you only need to do to do four city long road. You you only need like two sheep throughout the entire game if you think about it, since uh, for your two settlements and that's it. Yeah. And so if, if you do four city long road, the the ore port is specifically useful since you're not going to be buying. Uh, usually you're not going to be buying dev cards. And I think that uh, the four city long road just goes well in, in general with the structure of this podcast so far, since you need a strong third settlement and, and the ore port also goes really well with it because um, in, instead of buying dev cards, if you can just uh, use your ore uh, to get a city. And um, and after you upgrade twice and you have no more use for your ores, uh, well, not no more use, but after you upgrade twice and let's say you have like an ore port, then you're able to go ahead and use that port, uh, use that extra excess ore um, to be to, to either get longest road to, to either build a settlement. Since in general, trading away ores is really really dangerous, so being able to port it, or having for it is great. Yeah, wow, that's a great point. Yeah, it's a good strategy. Um, something I really want to note about ports is that we've been talking a lot about how they're so good if you have a cluster, mm-hmm. but you do not need to have a cluster of one resource. I feel a lot of time when people think they're going for ports, it's because they're built heavy on one resource. I strongly disencourage that. A port is good if you're just on one of those hexes. If, you're really, like, if you just get that resource occasionally, the port is good to have. Or even if you have just one city on that hex, your number hits twice and there now you can use your port. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do y'all think about a port strategy, by the way? I I don't like the idea. I never like the idea of like let's say there's a lot of pasture of sheep, right? Three hexes of sheep. I don't like going on the middle there and then having like a second settlement somewhere else and then and that being my strategy. Because I'm just I need double the cards. It's 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 harder to win that way. I don't like it. But I'd happily have a five sheep, just one five sheep, right? And the sheep port, and just be getting what I get from the sheep port. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I I saw someone do this recently. They had they were in the middle of like a wheat field, like three wheat hexes right in the middle, and then for their second settlement, they went right on a three brick, just a three brick, but it was the wheat port. And so, like you're saying, Greg. Instead of get instead of you know having sheep from this hex and ore from that hex and using it, now they need double the amount of wheat just to make those resources. So it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, if you can go ahead and you and just get that wheat spot and then combine it with a good you know sheep ore spot, you're you're in a much better position than going on this stupid ore spot. I mean, stupid port spot, just so you can complement your first settlement. I, I think that's a horrible strategy. Yes, I think that's a horrible strategy, but it can be done well. Uh, it, it can, if it's as long as it's executed well, and I think that like you can't win with like two out of five resources, but you can do like you can do like a heavy concentrated uh, port strategy if you can first of all get to your port quickly, and you, as, as long as you still have some of the other resources to su- supplement you. And I think if you are ever doing a port strategy, we have to think about what are the strengths and weaknesses of the port strategy. So you already said that one of the biggest weaknesses is that you have to port. Your, you have to port everything, so you have to get literally double your production since it's two. You have to use two cards just to get one card. And I think the first strength about a port strategy is that uh, it's the flexibility. So, and in order to use a port strategy effectively, what you have to do, in my opinion, you have to invest in production first, and after you, and after you get like let's say two cities, then use the strengths of the port strategy, which is the flexibility. So you choose the path of least resistance to win. So you either go longest road if like no one's putting roads, or if you choose largest army if there's not that many dev cards out there. So that's utilizing the port strategy's 
strengths and, and, and knowing its weaknesses as much as possible. And lastly, to me, one of the biggest mistakes and misconceptions about the port strategy is that people don't trade their own resources away. If you if you're not if you're just going to port everything, which is inherently more efficient rather than trading, then you're if you're going to like or if you're going to try to like monopoly it, so like you know you you only you are on the sheep, trade away that sheep, but just sell it at a premium, and that way you can actually make a strong profit. Right, rather than rather than giving. Rather than giving two sheep in your port for a resource, you could maybe give one sheep for two cards, and now you're now you're you're literally quadrupling that that port. Exactly, and not just that. Let's say like they really need a sheep, and you're just gonna be so tight, and you're not gonna trade. Well, guess who's gonna get gang robbed for sheep? You are. So you have to make sure that you're selling your your cards at an appropriate price, and you're not just like being hoarding it because that just gets you gang robbed, and that just inherently makes you a lot more efficient than instead of trading. So would you guys say that you? In every game, you make it kind of a point to have a three-for-one port, or not necessarily? I would say not necessarily. Um, a point I want to make is that you need to recognize what games you need to have a port, what port you need to have in which game. Like, a wood port or a sheep port can be very strong in a game where there's low ore, because then you have a way to get the ore that isn't necessarily in the game. But for a three-for-one port, I would say um, I want to have a three-for-one port, when I have just a lot of production. Right, it doesn't necessarily matter what kind. It's just if I'm on really good numbers and I know that I'm collecting cards very, you know, all the time, like a three-for-one port, you know, that would be really helpful. But if you have um, roles that are very um, complementary, you don't really need to use a three-for-one port because you're just going to have the role that goes with it. Like if you have a five, if you doubled up on or wheat fives, when are you going to really use that or, that three for one port? Because you're going to have your city. All right. Well, so Greg, here, here's the thing about what you just said. So I'm thinking of a scenario where you have like a, a good like wheat or sheep strategy, but then you're also on like this complimentary like five wood that just like came at the spot. And now you're in a situation where like that five wood just hit three times in a row. And now you have this three wood in your hand. It's like, well, what do I do with this? I, I think a three for one port allows you to use those cards rather than not. You know, it's not a scenario where you're so you get so many wood that you can just kind of four for one at every point. It's you know you have this three kind of by happen, happenstance, and now you can use it effectively with a three for one port. So I will say I I do tend to kind of base my strategies around a good three for one port. But the thing is, it has to be a good one. If you're just getting a crappy three for one port, like I said earlier, then you're really not kind of getting the resources necessary, the amount of resources necessary to use the port effectively. So yeah, I, I, I agree that having a three for one port is good and powerful, especially when you have an oddball resource. I'd rather have that specific port, right? In your example, I'd rather have the wood port than a three for one port because I'm going to use the ore sheep wheat effectively without needing to port it. And the wood port is like a bonus there but it goes it goes it goes back to where kind of you know we, we started this in episode one where i was talking about the flexibility i just think a three for one port makes you so flexible and i think that being a well-rounded flexible katan player i think is kind of the best thing to lead you to to a victory in that you know you're not so so focused on one thing you can really based on the cards and based on you know the different circumstances you're dealt on, on each role you can adapt accordingly yeah, I, no, I agree. I agree that having a 3 for one port is good. Uh, there's no denying that. No, there's no denying that. I would rather have the, just my strategy, the cards that I, the, the settlements that I, hexes that I built on to be my main source of reliance on what's coming in. I don't need to rely, I don't want to have to rely on just having a lot of cards. So, yeah, having a 3 for one port is definitely good. But when do you want your 3 for one port? How far out of your way are you going to go for a 3 for one port? If it's on a good spot, I'm totally going to go for it. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, Greg. Since at certain times, there's uh, your 3 for one port can gain value or decrease in value. Let's say if you only have a bunch of woods, uh, but no brick, then yeah, your 3 for one port value increases by a lot. You need that port. Because if you don't get a port, you're just going to have a bunch of dead cards in your hand, which just, which just makes you 7 out more and more and more and more. And I also think that uh, a 3 for one port it can also uh, decrease in value to, uh, depending if you have a strong resource income. Because Greg was saying earlier, if you have a strong balanced resource income, you're actually able to offload, use your cards, then you don't need a three for one port as much. So I think the three for one port, it, its value increases if you have an awkward, if you have an awkward hand income or re resource income. And that's just in general, that, that's, for the, that, that's uh, for, for the ports in general. If you have a very, very awkward resource income, 
that's when you sort of need a port. Um, and also think that like, let's it, a three for one port matters a lot uh, when it when it comes to just pacing in general. So let's say you're really really behind and no one's and like no one's really scared of you or anything. Instead of having potentially going to the three one port, everyone's willing to trade with you. So you can just trade with other players instead of porting it, since that's inherently more efficient than using a three for one port. But while if you're ahead, then you're getting like uh, gang robbed and uh, you're getting gang robbed, but you have strong income resources, but no one's willing to trade you. That's when you need your port. So I think there's specific spots where the ports will uh, increase in value. We need one a lot more versus uh, where the specific spots where there's not uh, where it's where it has a lot less value. Interesting. That's a good point. Now, do you guys think there's any value in um, building to 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 a specific resource port just so someone else can't get it? Yeah, definitely. I was playing a game a couple of days ago where um, I, I was holding onto a road builder for a while just to see how I wanted to use it. I could try to go to a sheep port, which um, wasn't too far away, which I had a good amount of sheep. There was a wood port in reach. Uh, there was a wheat port that I could go to. I had a lot of wheat. And this person who was doing very well was building towards the wood port. They had a lot more wood than me. But I was on an okay... Wood was definitely my weakest resource. But I was on wood. So in order to block them, I used my three for one, my, my road builder that I was saving all game, blocked them on the wood port. And then whenever a four or five hit, I had something to do with it. I think it's actually good to sometimes use to get on a port that it, it just is your off resource. Just so now that your off resource is actually a resource that you can focus on a little bit more. It doesn't need to be the thing that you're focus your entire game on. I don't think ports should be what you focus your entire game on. Right. I think they should always be supplementary. No, I think that's an amazing point. Making your off recess, uh, your off resource really actually an important resource because now you can port it. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. I like that a lot. And I blocked someone. A and you blocked someone who really could have used that port to effectively end your game, perhaps. Yeah, they would have definitely won. That's a really good point. Now, another thing I've been kind of considering, you know, lately is even if I don't see a particular use for a specific resource port at any, at any point in the game, if it's on a good spot, there's no harm in grabbing. Definitely. Because you never know how the numbers are going to play out and how the game's going to play out. Who knows if, you know, down the line you draw a monopoly and there's a point where maybe you don't ever pick up this resource, but everyone else has it. And if you monopoly it, you then have the port, you can, you can wreak havoc with that. Yeah, I agree. I even think if it's later in the game and you're building onto like, or no, if it's a good spot and it's like a brick port and you don't get any brick, maybe just on an 11, two 11s might hit and then you have a free card, right? I really encourage getting any port you can, even if you don't necessarily need it, because you shouldn't build your strategy around the port. The port should supplement your strategy. That's my biggest point i want to make i really like that point greg i think it's an important point yeah if, you, if, if the spots are are go hand in hand with your strategy it's good resources it's good production with the spots and it just happens to also be a port like go ahead and grab it and then however you could use it later in the game to your benefit like more power to you but go ahead and grab that port because of the spot not because of the port and then see how you can use it later on i also uh, wanted to quickly add uh whenever you you, you have like a specific port uh, and you're trying to do, and you have a monopoly, and you're trying to set up well for it. I think there's there's a, quite a few ways you can set up well for it. You can uh, not not just like wait until like obviously like, your opponents have a lot of of it inside their hands, but you can uh, make it in a way so actually clog their hand with that resource. So you set up for a great monopoly. So let's say if you're on like that brick port, and everyone's tripled up, like everyone's like triple sharing a wood. You want to block that wood. And by blocking that wood, it increases, um, it just makes your hand, it makes your opponents accumulate a bunch of useless bricks, which sets you up for a great monopoly. Uh, or, or, or if you're like, let's say um, you want to take away your opponent's wood, if possible. So you're like, you're like I'll take, give me the wood. Because not only can I use it eventually for my monopoly, I'm also making it so their bricks in the future are just useless. That's so like some, uh, an additional, so it's like not only planning for your monopoly, but it's also gaining uh, additional value. Also, you can also try like the dirty mono trick or whatever. Um, whatever other stuff you want to. <laughs> so I want to just talk about the um, the best port combo that I that I love build, playing games with is having the wood port and the sheep port. Those two complement each other so well. That tournament I won in New York, um, that, that day I won all five of my games. Every single one of those games, I was on both the wood port and the sheep port. It is such a powerful combination. Yeah, because I mean, you know, you're using, first of all, wood and sheep, and wheat too, but we, you know, you want to use for other things. But wooden sheep happen to be, you know, this very generally plentiful resource that 
you know, you're getting a lot of, but you can't necessarily use for the best things in the game, like cities and whatnot. So if you can collect those um, and then port them for everything else, I, I think I think you're going to be in good shape. So I, I, I love that strategy as well, Greg. A good a good wood cheap combination port, you know, strategy. I think you're gonna you're gonna end up doing well in. Um, I, I think the wood port is the best port. I'm actually torn between. I think the sheep port might be better, just because then you don't need to have like then you don't really need to have wood, right? Like if you have a sheep port and you're just on or wheat sheep. That's just amazing. I think that's probably the best thing you could do. Oh, interesting. That is a good point. I think that's a strong setup in itself. But rather than talking about which which port is better, let's talk about the strengths and weaknesses of the port. So, Ronnie, why do you think the uh, why do you like the wood port so much? Or like, what do you think the strengths of it are? I think it kind of goes hand in hand as to why I think brick is the worst resource um, in general. I'm just not someone who's going to really try to do a, a longest road kind of road expansion strategy generally. But with that being said, I. I I understand that wood usually is going to be a very plentiful resource. You're usually going to have sixes, eights, fives, or nines on the wood. Who knows, right? I mean, it's four hexes. It's, you know, it's just the way the averages kind of balance out. And I think if, if you have the wood port, rather than being someone who's on these good, you know, red numbers of wood, but kind of just using them for a road here or there or saving up for four for ones, you actually can use these effectively two for ones and, get everything you need whether that be the ore when you need it the wheat the sheep who knows but you can be getting dev cards cities you can use that wood really effectively um because there's usually a lot of wood in the game and you're you're picking it up so use it effectively and if you're getting it at two for one rate while everyone else is getting three or fours i mean just think of it if you continue to use these ports you're really saving a lot of resources that way yeah i i agree with that i also think that uh specifically when it comes to the wood port the, the strengths of it is that, like, uh, not just is it plentiful inside the game, it also doesn't get blocked very often. Because if you're a stronger player, you know that blocking ore and wheat is more impactful. So it's a lot, it's a lot, more, uh, it's a lot less blocked. But not, uh, not only that, is that wood... Um, so wood at the very beginning of the game, uh, people say, like, it's more valuable um, because, you know, there's more expansion spots. So the, the, the price of wood increases. So how I like to play wood brick strategies... I sell my wood and brick when at the very beginning of the game where it's where people want it because it's it's useful for them. So if I'm able to exchange it for Orin Wheats as a road player, that gets me my hard objective out of the way. Then then I start using my wood uh, wood and bricks uh, just for like so I can expand to my own personal spots that I want to. And then after that, I can choose to either use those those woods to uh, to the fight for longest road, or I can try uh, use the wood just to uh, for other for other things to boost my own game whether that's going for largest army or uh, just increasing my production one more time. So I think that like at the, at the very end of the game, the, the, the wood port is so useful because you're going to have a lot of it just excess where it's a lot, where it's not, where typically it's useless, but since you have the port, now it's not useless. It's a great role for you. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I think it's so effective. But I think you can say the same thing about sheep for the most part. I think you're using your sheep more in the end game for different things. But I do think that that I, I would say sheep is my second best port if we're ranking ports and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's even if you're getting a lot of wood. I mean, it's back to your kind of point from a couple from you're a topic. Ago. Yeah. As long as you have a just a decent spot on wood, you know, if that rolls once with the city on it, there's already a card of your choice. Well, I think some additional utility with the wood port is the fact that uh, it's it's one half of a road. So if you can get like an amazing uh, ro- like an amazing like wood mono, uh, or just have like a bunch of wood, you can still have half of a road right there. Uh, or like yeah, you can still have half of a wood or half of a road. And like, if you have three woods, you can port that into a road. Uh, let's say so it has additional flexibility of of building roads to try and jack longest road at the very end. But while I think the difference between the wood port and the sheep port is that um, the sheep the price of sheep. I think it relatively stays uh, the same. It can fluctuate um, depending on when. Uh, I think it, it fluctuates the most. The price of sheep increases the most and during the middle of the game because that's when people are starting to buy uh, massive ID cards uh, for largest army. Right. So I think that there's specific points inside the game where, uh, where a specific resource is more valuable and not valuable, and that affects the value of the port. Uh, and you have to be very, very careful in, in, in terms of like, when do, when do I want to build on this port and why? And what is the value of this resource at the moment? What does everyone have at the moment? Like, it, it does it, it, if do I have a lot of this resource in my hand or do I have a lot of the complementary resource? So like, instead of just porting my stuff, since instead, let's say I have a sheep port, a bunch of people have ore and wheats and already have cities. 
instead of building a sheep or importing away my sheep, don't do that. I just sell my sheep for a great price. So you have to be very careful of this instead of porting it, knowing when to sell your sell your card just at the right price. Yeah, Dylan, I'm a little curious, and correct me if I'm wrong, but do you are you a big trader? Are you trading very often in your games? So I used to not trade, and I used to uh, I call this the tight aggressive mindset. So I think there's two there's there's four total categories of, of categories of pl- of players, but I used to uh, use the mindset uh, of the tight aggressive mindset, which I classified as does this trade help me more? Or does it help my opponent more? Right. And I, I think uh, that's a very popular tournament classic uh, tight aggressive mindset. And I haven't told anyone this. Uh, well, I've told a few people, but I think that uh, that mindset is now more and more outdated because think about it theoretically. If everyone has this tight aggressive mindset, does this trade help me more or does it help my opponents more? Then no one trades because everyone's trying to get the better than deal. But the reason why this tight aggressive mindset used to work was because people was a lot worse at the game. People were pretty bad. They're like, they don't recognize what a good trade is. They're like, oh, you're going to give me a road? Hell yeah, this road is hard for me to get. And But the, then I get a city. So it's like, I like to classify that as a trade that helps me a lot more than uh, than my opponent. So like, I'll, I'll classify that as a 90-10 trade uh, because it helps me like 90% versus like the 10% it helps my opponent. With a tight aggressive mindset, uh, it's like a 50-50 trade. Uh, or sorry, it's either you're either taking 50 50 trades or better. Hence, does it help me more or does it help my opponent more? Um, or, or does it help us both? Then we do the trade. But I've been shifting to uh, a, a more of a, a loose aggressive mindset where I trade a lot more. And I'm willing to uh, trade a lot more loosely because trading is a number one way to, to mitigate variance. But in addition to that, um, if everyone has a tight aggressive mindset, the loose aggressive mindset inherently counters it because I'm able to. Uh, because I'm inherently able to get more trades and inherently able to steal a lot more trades from uh, the tight aggressive people. So I used to be a tight aggressive mind, a tight aggressive player. However, I've changed that to uh, being a lot more loose when it comes to trading. And I think that this is truly the future, uh, especially since as more and more people watch my videos, uh, I haven't even talked about this in my videos, uh, but as more and more people watch my videos as the game grows, more people are adopting my mindset, my old mindset of the tight aggressive mindset. At the thing, and then like, since everyone's using this mindset, I have to think about, okay, now I made everyone take like, I made everyone tight aggressive players. How do I counter this strategy now myself to, so I can keep on winning myself? And so if all I'm doing is releasing the best strategy like on how to win, well, how do I win now? So I have to, you have to, you know, think one step ahead. And every single time I release something, I have to, you know, think about, okay, how do I beat this now? <laughs> so that's really interesting. I like the idea of it, but I also still feel like I don't want to be, giving people cards that they need yeah for sure for sure if i have a port how much i i do guess i guess that if i'm giving one sheep and getting two cards back i am getting quadruple the profit but what if i i i don't want people to be able to do it i i i if i can still do something without them doing anything that seems like a net game for me yeah i i used i used to think that too and i think that you're right that uh, if I can just b- boost my own game and not boost anyone else's game, that's great. But that leads to a lot of non-trades, and a lot of non-trades leads to a lot of variance. So if I'm at a stronger, t- if I'm at a strong table with all all very strong players, I need to try to mitigate that variance as much as possible. And the number one way for me to do that is through trading. And I think that uh, if you play online, if you play like one of the Catan discords where there's a lot of active competitive games, you can see that the skill level is rising very very quickly. And you have to think about how do I keep up with the meta and how do I counter the meta with how everyone's thinking, how everyone's playing? So, so the reason I even asked that, Dylan, is because, you know, in this port discussion, you're using a lot of, well, if you have this card, you can trade it effectively. And I think that I, in your words, I think that I've kind of been more of a trade resistant. Um, well, what, what was the term that you used? A tight, aggressive person. A tight, aggressive. I, I, I'm generally a more tight, aggressive person. And the reasoning behind it is, well, I'm really confident in my strategies. I'm confident that I placed well and that I, if, I, if we're going to allow the dice to do their thing, I should beat you based on my kind of strategy and I don't need to trade as much. But I do think based, you know, everything you just said is true. I think the more that you're kind of spreading cards around, you're also getting the cards you need. And, you know, maybe you are throwing someone a trade that they need, but you're also getting a good trade you need, which I think that kind of gets lost in the, the tight aggressive mindset is, yeah, I'm not giving them anything, but you're also not getting anything. So you are completely dependent on the dice. Yes, exactly. And the thing is, it's not a two-player game. It's a four-player game. 
So if two people are just trading all game and you're not, and you're going to keep on using your tight aggressive mindset, you're going to be lapped because these people are playing inherently more efficiently than you are, which is why it's so essential. Uh, which is why I think the tight aggressive mindset is outdated. I actually, I, I love your point. I think it's a great point. Yeah. I, I, it's just something, uh, there's something that's just not totally clicking with me. I, it sounds great, but just in practice, I still can't go over not wanting to give a trade that isn't more beneficial for me. Well, here, here's Dylan's point. I think, I think if, maybe I can, maybe you can add something, but here, I think I can sum it up. It's rather than only trading when you're getting the better end of the deal. Maybe sometimes you say, all right, you know what? Maybe this trade is a 50, 50 trade where I'm not necessarily getting the better end of it, but I'm still getting a good end of the trade. That is still going to get me two steps above the other two players who aren't trading. Oh yeah. I can get behind that. So not, not every deal you have to be winning like, oh, like it's like in Dylan's example, you don't have to be winning every trade 90-10, but some trades you win 70-20 or 70-30, some trades you win 60-40, and some trades, you know what, maybe you do say, you know what, we're both going to get a good trade out of this, but whatever, that's, that's what I'm willing to do to get myself over the other two players who have no involvement. Yeah, and the thing is, the more loosely that you trade with people, the more trades you're inherently going to get. Because if you're only going to be taking like 70-30 trades for yourself, you're not going to be getting very many trades in this game. And, I mean, of course, this matters with the type of players you're playing with. Let's say if you're playing with a very loose passive player, the tight aggressive player eats up the loose passive player uh, because, like, you, you can just, like, you can just get consistent, like, 70-30 trades. Uh, so I think it, that's the uh, tight aggressive mindset versus too loose, loose aggressive mindset. It's very contextual uh, based off who you're playing uh, and also, like, the board state and, and quite a few... Uh, other things but in in, th- in general theory wise i think that the loose aggressive mindset is the more prevailing uh, strategy so have you been using the strategy in games recently yes essentially yes and it helps me win <laughs> so so let me ask you this how many trades do you, would you say you've been making now per game uh i used to make like very little trades like maybe like four like like, like four maybe around four trades but now i try to have uh my goal is to try to have at least 10 trades throughout the entire game interesting yeah because i usually when i play i find myself in the four to six trade range usually yes and i used to do that too i I think that it's a strong mindset but as players get better and better and better since like 180,000 people watch my video over competitive baton that's a huge influx of competitive players we have to think of new strategies and new innovative ways to keep ahead of the meta and to keep winning as a consistent player. Because if we don't, then these players will catch up and I will not become a winning player. Because as players get better and better, that means my win rate goes lower and lower. So I have to keep on thinking of strategies and ways that I can keep on winning. Yeah. Well, you heard it here, folks. Let More trading is beneficial. I love it. And honestly, I'm, I'm behind that. I think it made perfect sense. Dylan, kudos to you. That was a great point. Uh, thank you. <laughs> now everyone, now to think of how do I beat the least aggressive mindset. I've updated. <laughs> now back to tight aggressive. That's that's great. So um, back to ports. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I got off topic. <laughs> no, I loved it. It was great. I, I sprung it, actually, Dylan, because you, you were talking about a lot of trades. So it got me curious, really. So we talked about wood, sheep, and ore. I'm curious, Ronnie, why you feel... And Ronnie and Dylan, why all of your arguments for wood aren't true for brick? Because I know they're not. Because for, for me, I'm just never planning on having any brick in my hand. So a brick port, kind of just based on how I fundamentally see the game, just wouldn't ever do me any good because I'm cool with never having brick. I mean, sometimes you're going to be on good brick. Listen, if I'm on good brick, you know, listen, I, I mean, there was that time. Remember that, remember that amazing brick game that I had that I sent you the screenshot of? I was on like... A 10, 9, and 5 of brick with like the city right in the middle, and I had the brick port, and I dominated that game. It was like an easy win. If you can get that, listen, I I mean, but that I went on that spot not because it was brick. I went on that spot because it was three of the same resource around three good numbers, and I knew the port was right there and I could grab it. That w- I would have done that no matter what resource that was. It just happened to be brick in, the, in this predicament. If you think about the wood, uh, wood port versus the brick port, they're very similar, they're extremely similar. But the reason why the wood port is inherently better is not because there's just there's not just more wood, but since there's four hexes of wood compared to only three hexes of brick, and inherently, generally speaking, that there's going to be a lot more wood in this game compared to the brick because there's an extra hex. And because of that, there's always going to be an excess of wood compared to the bricks. And because there's always going to be the excess where it in, uh, d- destroys the balance of the resources, since remember wood, wood brick one to one ratio, it, it, the port becomes inherent. The wood port becomes inherently more valuable because there's always more wood. 
and that and the reason why the brick port is a lot less valuable because there's always usually there's usually a lot of more wood to pair with the brick. So instead of just porting away your bricks, you actually can use it in some type of way. Right, just build roads or whatever you can actually use the brick for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I, yeah, I definitely agree with Dylan on that one. And then the wheat port. I mean, listen, I, I don't mind the wheat port. I just, you know, the wheat goes into everything. It's going into cities. It's going into settlements. It's going into D cards. I think, you know, I'd rather be using it one one for one for those things rather than having to trade two for one for those things. But you know, if you have the wheat, it's going to be great. Also, yeah, I definitely feel like. The wood and sheep ports are the ones that I feel comfortable having as my supplementary um, ports. As like they're just on the side, I just pick them up when I could, and I'll use them when I when I need to. While I don't feel like I'm ever real like unless my strategy specifically dictates me using them, I don't feel like I'm going to be using the ore port or the wheat port or even the brick port in the same way. I feel like wood ports or sheep ports are something I can go for later in the game and just have. As like in my back pocket, while Orport, Weport, and Brickport is something I definitely like. Like I had to go into like this is my path to victory. This is how I want to win. This is what I need. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I also I I I love the point that you made earlier about how the port should not be like what decides the game for you. I mean, it could be. It could be. No, no, it could it could be later on. But when you're strategizing and building your placements, you shouldn't be thinking, "Oh, I'm going to need this port to win." I think that's I think that's dangerous, and I think that that should never be kind of your thought process in having a good setup. Well, something I want to say is I see people do this sometimes, and a lot of times when people do need a port and really are focusing on a port, they will build not necessarily they won't start necessarily on that port, but close to it. And if that port's really important to you. You should just start on it. There's no reason not to. Um, one example I'm thinking of is I, this was at Nationals. I was playing a game, and this person started on a like, let's say I don't remember exactly the numbers, but let's say it was like a six five two. They started on the triple hex, even though the port that they wanted was on the other side. Instead of being on the two, it could have just been on the six five. It might have not been that good numbers, but they chose the two over just starting on the port. So I just started on the other side of that hex eliminating any any access to that port like if you need that port just go right on it i really believe you don't like you're just opening yourself up to like racing for it or to people like just knocking you out from it or like just it's be taking the whole game for you to get to it and then it's not that good of a bonus like choose it sometimes if that is your game Go, go start start off with it it's okay yeah i think that's a good point i mean if it's if it's literally like i don't i don't advocate for it being your game but if you are going to make it your game you got to start with it and just you and, and have it from the from the get-go you know i sort of disagree with that because uh well it, it, remember, it's i think all situations are contextual uh but in general though remember if you do start on like let's say like uh only like a six point spot but in order to get your point your city quality drastically drastically decreases but rather, if you're able to, let's say, uh, if you're able to still have enough good uh, road bidding resources to get on your port quickly and efficiently enough, that's great. But yeah, if, if you can get locked out, like like what you said, uh, Greg, if you can get locked out by your opponents just placing it away for you to lose your port, then uh, then yeah, sometimes you're just forced to place it on, on, on it directly. But I caution people who are on port, who are doing port strategies who just place directly on the port. If it's such a, uh, if it's a not very good spot, then your city quality drastically decreases and when you're doing port strategies, you need your city quality to be very, very high. And because you need, uh, you inherently need more production compared to your opponents. And it's up to you to spend it the most efficiently way possible to make as many good decisions. And to think about it, the port strategy, it's flexible. So you're able to make a lot of different decisions or go whatever path you want. But you have to be a good decision maker in the first place to do that. Dylan, you've made some amazing points tonight. Um, yeah. I, I want to thank you, Dylan, so much for coming on the show um you have been you've been tremendous i mean you really you you said i i can't even count how many things you said that i've never even considered in, in on today you're a real pro <laughs> I, I don't i don't consider myself a pro if you think about it what what even is a pro well i mean listen it's hard to say what a pro is in a kind of board game sense um where it hasn't really become kind of monetized for for money but listen you're ranked in the top 20 in Catan universe you have thousands and thousands of views on on youtube and everyone knows you in the Catan community. So as far as Catan and pros, I think you're as, you're as much of a pro as anyone, man. Uh, uh, thank you. I appreciate the compliment. But I, once again, I have to say, 
uh, I was only able to get here through everyone else helping me through uh, being able to study with my friends and like people who are willing to help me become better as a uh, better as a player. So uh, I think w one of the best ways to improve is don't just study by yourself, but go and you know make some friends. Ask like, what did I do wrong? Watch the video, watch it with your friends, and talk with your friends about how you can improve. And that's one of the best ways improving together. Since you know, in, in the very end, it's a it's a game where you play together, so improve together also. Yeah, I love that. Um, and maybe maybe one lucky listener will be able to get hop on a game with the three of us, and we'll uh, we'll see what we can see what we can do with the one lucky listener. But that that's for another day, another time. I want to thank you again, Dylan. It's great having you on the show. Um, and Greg, why don't you take it away? Please check out our Instagram, our Twitter. Please join our Discord. Ask us questions. Hang out with us. Um, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to play with you. Um, I'm Greg. And I'm Ronnie. This has been the Orport. The Orport with the Catan Brothers. We'll see you next time, everyone. Have a great night. See you next time.